0: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Doing that,
1: I was face-to-face with it. It was holding me by my throat it felt
0: like it was sucking something out of me. I
1: probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. And I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me, and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red
0: eyes staring back at me that they're gonna show multiple gods all over the earth, be able to speak in people's languages, and at that point it kind of converge into this one entity which will be revealed as extraterrestrial, you'll realize that aliens are the gods of old and at that point the it'll like religion out of the context of
1: humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person, I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that.
2: So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking. It's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy-looking being. surprised by her take on the paranormal and I said well what do you mean and he's like well and then he dropped the bombshell on me what this woman's profession is and I was kind of flabbergasted because she's an archbishop in Chicago and I thought well any of my experience with the Catholic church when it comes to talking about the paranormal, has been very poo-pooed by them, and that you're not supposed to deal in that, and you're not supposed to dabble in the paranormal. He said I'd be surprised. So, for your edification, and mine, tonight's guest is Archbishop Christina Reich. Now, before I bring her on, I'm hoping that I can at least get her to put in a good word with the man upstairs so that the Chicago Bears might actually have a respectable season here very soon. Something that I can sit down on Sunday nights, Sunday afternoons, and actually enjoy during football season. So, if you will, please give a warm, uncomfortable welcome to Archbishop Christina Rake
1: hi there Eric thank you for having me
2: <laughs> pleasure to get to talk to you
1: it, thank you and I'm sorry there are a lot of Catholics in Green Bay so <laughs> you might not have a good season <laughs>
2: oh no I just need a little help that's all <laughs> I'm born and raised in a household that only oh, watched God. the Chicago Bears the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and the Chicago Cubs and uh to date it's been a while <laughs> it's been a while <laughs>
1: <laughs> no i i believe me I feel you living in this
0: area
2: <laughs> archbishop um well i've got i've got so many so many things that we need to talk about and and i hope you're uh i hope you're open to this because You know, it's, as I said in the intro, I've always been, I was born and raised Catholic and practiced until whatever age I was in seventh grade. My parents took me out of public grade school and put me in at Christ the King junior high. And in the half year that I was there, no, I didn't get kicked out because I was a bad kid. Um, the the amount of the amount of things that I saw and was witness to in this Catholic school um, really really put me off. You know, yeah. um, in seventh grade, there were a lot of drugs. The principal, the principal who was married and had several kids, and he walked around with this wooden crucifix around his neck that looked like it weighed about three pounds. He gets caught fooling around with the English teacher. Mm -hmm. My theology teacher, over summer break, the year before, the, the summer before I went there, I had seen him at my neighbor's house in the backyard, smoking dope with the kid that lived there. Um, and then a a secular teacher, Missus Peak, I don't mind saying this because she was a terrible person. Um, she ended up <laughs> uh, sending a letter home saying that I had failed several tests and that I had taken them. Get this, and that I had taken them, and uh, most obviously tore him up and flushed them down the boys' bathroom toilet. Now, I don't know how she would have known that. <laughs> um,
0: oh, for heaven's sake. But, yeah, there, sake. Was a,
2: there was a very detailed uh, uh, note that came home to my parents because uh, every week we had to put all of our work into a folder, and at the end of the week we would pull that folder out, and we would have a note sent home to the parents. The parents would sign it so that they could see the work that you did for the week, and then you would take the note back. Well, she said I was missing three tests and I had failed all of them. Well, I long story short, we had a meeting with the teacher and it was uh, about about time to go on Christmas break. I think maybe seems like um, went into her classroom, dug around through everything that I could possibly find to to try to find the paperwork, and uh, finally I unzipped this. She had this horrendously large black leather, almost looked like it would have belonged to an old-fashioned mailman, you know, that would walk from house to house. And I I unzipped it and I dumped it on her desk, which I probably should not have done because, I mean, that was her personal stuff. (laughs) But um, amongst all the hairbrushes and makeup containers and wallets and all that stuff, lo and behold, I find two of the three missing tests one was a B plus and one was a B minus. Neither one of them were a failing grade and where the third one goes, I don't know, but I grabbed those two and I walked down to that office and I slammed them on the table. Now I'm in seventh grade. This was like the most masculine thing that I had done up until that point. I slammed those papers down in front of her and she goes, where did you get those? And I told her and she goes, you, I can't believe you went through my bag and, my dad got up, my mom got up, my dad said, I think we're done here. And she goes, I'll talk to you when school gets back into session. He's like, No, you won't, because he's going to clay middle. So they pulled me out of there and they put me into they put me <laughs> back sure. into to regular school. So um but I remember I remember talking to the the priest, because I think my God, I think we had to go to mass four days out of five a week. Mm-hmm. might have been five. I don't remember. Um, but I can remember him asking, you know, we had come back from break or something and said, or a long weekend, maybe it was. And he said, you know, asking all the kids after services, you know, what'd you do over break? And he got to me and I said, well, my parents took me to Chicago and got to go see all the cool, uh, museums and everything. And I really liked the, the one museum with all the, the dinosaur bones and everything. And, he started laughing, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he's like, "There's no dinosaurs." And, and oh said, my god, what? And he says, "There's no such thing as dinosaurs. Those are all fake. They're created by man just for entertainment." And I'm,
1: and that's not even the church's official well, position. It, yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> I, I, I know that now. I mean, at that point, I didn't realize that it wasn't the truth. Oh, for heaven's sake. He just went on this, uh, I'll say it was a tirade, but, I mean, it wasn't an angry thing. He just made me feel absolutely ignorant and that I did not have common sense enough to recognize that those massive bones of those incredible creatures were not real. And that that was like my first... My first official falling away from not religion because i'm I'm still a very spiritual person, but I guess maybe organized religion,
1: and you're not the first person to tell me a horror story, you know growing up, I mean, my mother used to tell people. I went to Catholic school from K to 12th grade, but I'm okay now. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's what I hear. And, and just to clarify, um, I'm in an old Catholic jurisdiction and there's a bit of a difference because the old Catholic church got its freedom from Rome by permission of the Pope, um, the Utrecht church in Holland was the center of the old Catholic church. And we left in the 1700s and then a whole bunch of Roman priests and bishops jumped into this group when, um, the Pope declared himself infallible. And so we're, we're different. Um, unlike the Roman Catholic church, we obviously ordain people with lady parts. <laughs> so there's which one big awesome, By the way, um, this, I thank God I found them because I was going crazy. I was a Roman Catholic, too, and I was, I felt like I was just completely, I had an itch I couldn't scratch. I couldn't even get to it. I couldn't talk about it because I had this calling to the priesthood. And so we're all so inclusive fully of the LGBT community. You can be trans and be a priest. We will marry you regardless of your sexual orientation, your gender Until identity it illegal it's again. not doesn't matter to us. Yeah, it it doesn't it's not an issue because people are people and we don't break them into little categories or groups in order to hate this one. What or not happens that with one. The, the latest
2: and um, the the rumors of the next uh next list of things that the Supreme Court is going to overturn
1: well for us it's it's not a question it's not a clear-cut question all right I obviously pro-life because I, I care about life and I believe it starts at conception but here's the problem I believe that this country should make it a real choice. It shouldn't be illegalized at all. Um, It should always be available because of the health of the mother, because of abuse that occurs. It has to remain legal for people. They have to have that choice. But I believe that we need to make it a choice and not an act of desperation by giving single mothers health care, job training, uh, daycare, we have to actually take care of these kids because, unfortunately, if you illegalize abortion but do nothing to help people, you're pro-birth. You're not pro-life.
2: Well, and and
1: and yeah, we have to yeah, help in a, in a people.
2: Discussion with my son. My son and daughter both went to a liberal college, liberal arts college. Um, so it, it's been, as I said before, I'm I'm 57, and I am very much old school when it comes to a lot of these new things that are. Um, becoming a part of our everyday life and you know it's 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 taken some effort on my part to to wrap my head around some of the 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 changes and the the um, the new ideology so you know and and you know that's my problem i mean that's i have to get i have to get up to times with that and and i'm i'm working on it i'm getting better um, but you know, I'm not going to say that I agree with abortion. I'm not going to say that I disagree with it because <clears throat> just this past weekend, there was an article about, and I don't remember where the girl is. Uh, I believe she was, she was either 10 or 11, was raped. Yes. And yes, you know, her parents took her before a court <laughs> to get permission and yep. she was denied. You know, now, yep. first of all, I don't know that a 10 year old's body is capable of carrying a child healthy, you know, in, in a manner that that's, will be healthy for both. The child is not even old enough to hold a job. How is she going to provide for that child?
1: She's not even old enough in most states to be left alone without right. parental She's supervision
2: barely, barely depending on her weight barely out of the range of having to ride in a car seat yeah you know now now and, the parents you now know, the parents are going to be responsible for having to raise this child pay for it pay while they're paying for their own child and you know the you know then you have a 10-year-old kid who is has got to go through life with either dealing with having to try to raise a child or having to give a child up. All of these things are, I mean, I can't even...
1: In the case of rape and incest, for them to force her to carry the baby, in my opinion, is to force her to submit to the perpetrator's yeah. attack for yeah. nine months. It's just a continuation of the attack. You know,
2: and there was...
1: and. It's not a simple no, it's issue. Not.
2: And, and I think there was a statement made, possibly it was in that same article, where uh, yeah, it might not have been in the article, but the the gist of the, the comment was that um, rapists uh, can now choose their choose their choose <laughs> the mother of their child.
1: Mm, and yeah.
2: what a horrifying yeah. thought. Ladies and gentlemen, this this was, <laughs> if you know anything about my show, you know these conversations, they, they go where they go. And I, I can guarantee you, I promise you, we are going to get to the paranormal. <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: but I appreciate the question because it, it is important to make that distinction that um, my group, American Apostolical Catholic Church, I'm the head of it. It's a jurisdiction and a movement. Like, you know, in Judaism, it's a religion, but there are different smaller groups. And we do not have to submit to the rules that were put in place by a bunch of old white men who can't have sex. (laughs) That's why we can think freely.
2: And and I am an older white man. And I never, (laughs) I never envisioned a time in my life prior to the present that an older white man would be basically dirty words i mean
1: oh know. yeah no, i did no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not I taking apologize. offense it,
2: but but it's true you know it i am in that category i, I don't group myself with those people and i think my life choices and and the things i've done throughout my life have proven that i am not like that, but yeah, it, it's I, I don't understand what gives them to, the right to, to make these decisions when it absolutely does not affect them one iota in their in their daily life.
1: I don't know it is it is it's a really difficult time. Because we're being slammed mm-hmm. daily with news of freedoms being stripped away, and um, we've been become more polarized than we ever were in well, the past. Well, my daughter, my my daughter um, made a
2: comment to me uh, this past weekend. Um, she moved out of uh, one house into a, another house with her uh, roommates, and she said, uh, she said she wants a new mirror. And I said, well, what's wrong with the mirror you got, you know? And uh, what she said, she said to kind of be, not not to be a smartass to me, but just kind of popping off at all this stuff that's been going on. she says, no, I want a full-length mirror so I can look at it and remember what it was like when I had rights. And, mm, yeah. oh, man, did that hit me. I was like, yeah. my daughter... My beautiful, twenty-four-year-old, intelligent, strong-willed woman, my daughter, no longer has a right to make decisions on her own.
1: And and it's it's horrifying um, because they're already looking at overturning yeah. gay marriage and. It's like where do I live? <laughs> when did I when did I move countries? I don't remember doing that. Yeah. Um, but I, unfortunately, you know I and and again, I think it's good to get off topic because it also you know, demonstrates to people that not every Christian is in that category with these, Nut yeah. jobs who want to control every aspect of our lives to conform with their own idea of theocracy. This isn't a theocracy. It's a Republic. God is not in charge. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, I think lately neither are the citizens.
2: So. <laughs> That's very true.
1: <laughs> but, but I just, I want people to understand that, um, you know, we who are old Catholics, are on the side of people who are losing their rights. And we're the ones going to protests and we're the ones writing letters because we believe, as Jesus did, God loves everybody, period, no exceptions. And God gave everybody to the right to live their life In the manner that they believe is right. It's the right of conscience. And it used to be the teaching of the church until the 1800s. Your relationship with God is your business. Mm -hmm. And my business is to love you. I don't have to like you. I don't have to spend time with you. But I have to love you. And I have to fight for you. Because that's what Jesus would have done had he been here (laughs) And so I just want everybody who's listening and and who's been wounded by religion because religious trauma has made it into the new DSM Um, that that's not what I'm a part of. I'm trying to fight that. And I, I deeply apologize for people who are psychics, who are mediums, who are ghost hunters, who have had their Christian friends tell them they're the bride of <laughs> Satan and the spawn of Satan for doing what you do. You're not. That's why I wrote the book I did. That's why I do what I do and give the talks I do, because you are actually doing what the church wants was told to do by Christ 2000 years ago, you're doing ministry for the dead and not all of us view you or any of these issues the way Christians are being portrayed in general. There's a whole bunch of us who aren't getting any press.
2: You mentioned the book and the name of that book is God and the paranormal mediums, ghosts, and the afterlife in the Bible. Available at Amazon, I assume
1: yes, it's on amazon
2: so this is the part where Jay said you might be surprised on her take on the paranormal, and I'm glad we had the conversation that we just did but let's let's shift gears and and get to the uh, the meat of of why i why I had you here. So, like I said, and like you just reiterated, you know, you're, you're told that you, you can't, you can't involve yourself with, with things of the, the paranormal, of um, dealing with trying to contact the dead, or um, as you put, minister to the dead. You have all these shows on TV, which I watch because they're entertaining. Um, but everything is either Portal to Hell or It's a Demon or It, it Scratched yep. Me, you know, and it's three scratches. So that means the Trinity. And, <laughs> you know, so Jay was the first person that I have had on the show that gave me, I think he said in his 17 years of investigating, not one time has he ever felt that he had come up against something that was demonic or evil. Now, I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that demonic entities don't exist, but I do think that his what he's relaying to me is more often the case than not.
1: That's correct. I agree with that. It's uncommon. It's not as common as television or, or even, you know, some paranormal people would have you believe. Um, and, and, and the, the reason people draw that conclusion, I mean, you yeah, know, sometimes they're exaggerating, but I think some are very good people. The problem is that unless you've actually dealt with, with a demon the most sickening evil horrible thing that you feel you think is demonic because it's the worst you've ever felt or the worst you've ever dealt with that doesn't you know on a spectrum if you haven't dealt with a demon you're like well this has to be a demon because it's so bad but the problem with that is that it probably isn't you know you, you um there are certain ways you can determine if it is, and even those aren't foolproof. Um, so I can tell you that I've gotten 10 cases in the past month. Everybody convinced they have a demon. One of them, and only one of them, I think is serious because the entity um could have caused the death of, of
2: a couple oh of children. And even that I'm not sure is
1: demonic. So of so l- let me <laughs> ten cases this l- month. Let no me interrupt
2: demons. you and, and and interject something here. Sure, real quick. sure, please. So out of those ten, you feel that only one has the potential for obviously needing more investigations, but could possibly be demonic.
0: Right. Out of exactly. those
2: other nine are those people all in your opinion dealing with something that's on the other side that is supernatural, something that is paranormal? Or are they um I, I don't want to say making it up, but I guess essentially are they are they
1: or mistaken. The, I think sometimes people are just mistaken. Um I think, you know, that's the best word because I don't think people who come to in desperation like that or are, are being fraudulent. Um, but I have had a case where it was supposed possession, but it was actually um, dangerous psychopathy. Um, and that was uncomfortable. So more of a more <laughs> of a mental illness. Uh, it was a mental illness in that case, a very dangerous one. Um, but you know, you get a call from parents who are like, I, I'm hoping it's something you can fix. And it's not always something you can fix. Um, the other eight cases, I believe, and this is limited cause I didn't go to the locations. This is just based on interviews and what the investigators have told me. Um, the other six are dealing with something and they're dealing with something nasty, um, but then i had the one case of mental illness and and another where just the gut feeling tells me that it's it's similar to the mental illness case but i haven't finished my investigation so of all those people are dealing with something and you have to understand there are gradations of entities that we can call evil and, you know, based on, on my wheelhouse is hell and fallen angels and stuff. But people in, in other faiths or of other ideas might think they're interdimensional or wherever the origin is, they're destructive. So we'll just use that term. But there are gradations. I mean, there's a, a full-fledged demon. There's are sub-demons. There are evil spirits. There are just nasty bastards who are dead. <laughs> you know? There are curses. There are Native American type entities. And, you know, there there are time slips. The paranormal isn't just dead souls. So much complexity is occurring. And a lot of what we see has similarities, like you know, the the Blessed Virgin Mary, a visitation of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and a ghost and a UFO landing. Why do they all give off EMF?
0: But they do.
2: You know what you brought up there is is something that I just want, I want to I want to say this because it gives um, it gives me some validation. I have said for years now that my belief in in all this all this stuff whether it be ufos spirits um bigfoot which is a very popular topic on my show um hauntings all the all that stuff there is some kind of intertwining thread yep. that seems seems to be very present yes. throughout all all the different things
1: I term that thread. I call it the the paranormal unified field theory. That there is an interconnection, either in their manifestation in this world, breaking through does something very particular, or in their origin, or, you know, or I just don't know. But the fact that the tangible proof. That's left behind can be so similar, um, and I'm kind of following on the thoughts of the late John Keel, who wrote the Mothman prophecies, and one of my mm-hmm. favorite authors. Great, great. Book. Um, he brought that up, and um, I found that fascinating. And then Jacques Vallée, I, I sauntered down mm-hmm. Jacques Vallée, and I've read of you know Charles Fort and all the all the greats and, and you see, you see it and you're not sure what it is. You see the web and you're like, I need money and I need time. And I could figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> I have neither. Um, but yeah, that's actually going in my second book. I'm writing about spiritual topics and, and their interconnection between science um, super science, supernatural, and, and other things. And, um, yeah, there's there's absolutely a threat. Even with the demonic, with, you know, um, you can sometimes get residue, uh, yellow residue, mm-hmm. sulfur. And, but, interestingly enough, you get that same residue in extreme poltergeist cases, which we think are telekinesis. So, <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why is there a residue? Why
2: now, would that bring that through? You're ex, yeah, you're ex, you've got a couple of things that I need to ask you about. Um, as far as the poltergeist, um, it's been my understanding, and it seems to be pretty prevalent as far as a, a, the form of thought, is that poltergeist activity is usually tied to an adolescent right. prepubescent uh, female. Yes. Is is that still is that still a pretty valid uh,
1: consideration? Yeah, the, the research into it. Um, if you read um, uh, the um, Society for Psychical Research and then the uh, British Society for Psychical Research, their articles by trained parapsychologists with PhDs, they've they've done this archive study going back hundreds of years, and there always seems to be. Um, a female uh, who has a stressful family situation in these poltergeist cases. Mm -hmm. However, however, uh, two things we have to bear in mind. First of all, if you have to, you have to distinguish between diagnosing a case based on the presence of the woman as poltergeist activity and looking at, activity that looks like a poltergeist and then looking for a catalyst. What's interesting about poltergeist cases is and this was an article in Fortean Times in 2018 I think in the February edition. Fortean Times based on Charles Fort the grandfather of the paranormal who wrote Book of the Damned, Low Strange Lands and coined the phrase teleportation, was the first person to say that meteorites actually fell from space because in the 1800s, astronomers said that they were lifted up off the ground in whirlwinds. Anyway, so the Fortean Times is is a paranormal magazine put out in England, and, and I've been getting it for years. There was an article in there uh, by a parapsychologist who took the audio file from a poltergeist rap in poltergeist activity. One of the dominant features is knocking that what's called the poltergeist rap on a wall on a table. Well, Mm -hmm. he took a file from a confirmed poltergeist case with a catalyst with a female present. He brought it to a doctor of, sound an audiologist and what they found is when you hear a normal knock like this and you put it into a spectrograph the sound wave starts up suddenly like a giant ledge all right because the sound is strongest at the wrap and then it diminishes so imagine like this triangle where the vertical line was first and then it falls out. In a poltergeist rap, it's a weight. That means that the sound starts inside the wall and builds up to the rapping noise and then goes down. That means, probably, this is my theory, the, the, the um, Electrons, the particles inside of the wall are excited, move, give off a sound wave that you can't hear in human ears until they all snap together and form the rap, the knock. So yeah. that's very evident of telekinesis because it's an excitement of normally stable particles.
0: Is
2: you know i <laughs> okay, so I, I'm going to go out on a on a on a weird rabbit hole here. Um, as I as I indicated, you know, uh, probably a good 50 percent of my episodes are based on uh, Bigfoot experiences. Mm-hmm. One very common thing with Bigfoot experiences: people in the woods, outside, outdoors. In the area that these things are uh, alleged to be Um, tree knocking Mm.
1: is,
2: is a very, is a very common attribute of, of being around these Mm -hmm. things. And so when investigators go out, they take these clubs with them. And when they're trying to elicit a response from the Sasquatch or the Bigfoot, you know, they knock on the trees And it always seems to be three times. Hmm. And the thing that I've noticed about, you know, watching paranormal and and reading about paranormal and and discussing paranormal is that knocking in a a haunting situation always seems to be either two or three times. Hmm. And with what you just described, and, and essentially what you're describing is uh, very similar to the Doppler effect with sound waves, where something is hardly audible audible at all until it gets right to you. And then it tapers off. Right. afterwards. So I'm, I'm kind of perplexed since we're talking about having this thread that runs through everything that is unexplained and, uh, you know, supernatural or paranormal. Um, there does seem to be a large degree of people who feel that there are some paranormal aspects to Bigfoot and Sasquatch.
1: Oh, absolutely. I've read many of those encounters.
2: You know, so is, is this knocking akin to the same thing that's going on in what you're talking about? I'm, I'm wondering now.
1: Isn't that, isn't that interesting? And, um, People who have encounters with UFOs or, or abduction experiences describe uh, buzzing that grows louder. Um, and people yes. who have Bigfoot experience, it's my understanding, not everybody, but some who have very close encounters have that uncanny sensation that you get in the presence of a UFO, of a demon that sense that reality is waving and watery, that something is wrong. Um, even in the missing 411 cases, uh, there was a, a hunter. This is, for people who don't know, this is a, a study of people who tend to go missing in parks and state parks.
2: Mm-hmm. Ma- made popular by Dave yes, Polites. Yes,
1: Dave huh? Pilates, um has his missing 411 hunters. And it's on this episode that he talks about a man who came up to a barrier of some kind. He could see past it. Everything looked normal. But when he put his foot up against this barrier that seemed to be a dividing line between reality, even though reality looked perfectly normal through it, um, he got this horrible, uncanny Sensation. And by uncanny, I mean completely inexplic- inexplicable, but it affected his entire body in a strange way, especially his brain function. And he pulled his hand out and he didn't go any further. And so Dave polides who is very, very good about not drawing conclusions, he just presents the data. Um, Right. You know, points this out.
2: He drops hint, He drops hints.
1: Yeah, though. he does. <laughs> you know, he he always says, "I'm not going to tell you what my theory is, but you kind of can tell right. what he thinks." Um, right.
2: Especially if you watch, if especially if you watch the last 15 minutes of uh, missing four one one the hunt. Yes, I think he does. He does. Uh, he lets he lets loose with uh, some of his thoughts.
1: And and um, it's it's amazing. I mean, what what he was able to glean. And then you have, um, and and I'm not sure about Bigfoot cases, I've only heard of two instances where this occurred, strange visitations afterward. Like you have in UFOs and the Men in Black, there's these follow-up waves of strangeness that occur after an encounter with a UFO, after an encounter with any being that has some supernatural origin, including Bigfoot. There are these strange follow-up encounters. Um, and this also happens in religious experiences. Uh, there was a, a priest that was, I uh, have to find this reference. I'm, re- I'm a researcher, I'm really big into references. and I wish I'll find this because I read the article. There was a Jesuit priest who, at a visitation of the Blessed Virgin Mary in a church that was witnessed by hundreds of people, did a study on the electron patterns in the air and the electron patterns matched the way they're off near crop circles. Why? Why? What, what now uh, me, I think that anything that breaks through whatever this is that keeps us locked in Newtonian physics and gravity and everything that we're in linear time, which isn't real, by the way, that we're locked into. When something <laughs> breaks through,
2: time is a construct. Of
1: exactly. <laughs> it's a construct of the brain because of the way we process packets. Um, but that breakthrough, maybe that's what leaves behind the signature, regardless of where or what the breakthrough is. Um, so, so. Eric, have you ever walked out of a room and immediately forgot what you left the room to do? Oh, absolutely. Everybody has. This is Mm -hmm. why we experience time in a linear manner, even though linear time doesn't exist even in this world. Um, Our brain processes information in packets. We have working memory, working RAM. We have short-term memory, and then we have long-term memory. Because we process information by frames of reference, a doorway is seen by our brain as a frame. So our working memory, I left my glasses in the kitchen. When we walk through that doorway, our brain immediately moves it from working memory to short-term memory. And we immediately forget why we went in there. But if we walk back into the room, our brain says the frame returns and it pushes short term to working again. That's why that happens. Interesting. so everybody understands. So, because we process information that way, we experience in this lifetime time is cause and effect. It's a number line: one, then two, then three, then four, then five. When you die, you are outside of time, and people get caught up in this notion that stuck spirits. Spirits are stuck here because this is being haunted. Yeah. They're stuck. Not true. Yeah, Not yeah, yeah. necessarily. Not necessarily, because you have to understand that time and space is gone. That's this body. Even in this world, time and space don't exist the way we think they do. And so when we die, is why is Lincoln seen at the White House and in Springfield and at Gettysburg? Why? How can he do that at the same time? There's no time and space. You can be in two places at once or one place at every point in time. Like a building. If I leave 50 cell phones on different floors, you know, you can call each of those cell phones. You're still calling the same body. I can call you from any of those cell phones and you're still talking to me. Um, So I think people get hung up on linear time. I mean, if you're reading
2: that's an inch that's Go a ahead. that's an interesting point you bring up because it, it was um it was also addressed by one of my guests uh, uh about six months ago her name's karen tatro mm-hmm. she's a uh, psychic medium uh from out east uh, new hampshire i think maybe um you know and i'd always wanted to talk to a, a medium and uh, and and i'll ask you this question as well I, if I had I had been taken out for my birthday, and the lady that took me out, we went to a cute little beach town. We hung out. We had a great dinner. walked the beach, and then we were coming into town, along one of the sides of the street where the buildings were, there was a, a little shingle hanging in front of a door, and it was a psychic. And she grabbed me by the arm, and she goes, oh, my God, we're doing this. And I'm like, nah, we're not doing that. And she says, oh, I'm buying it for your birthday. So we walked up this narrow hallway up the stairs. We got to the top, and there was a door, and the, um, the sign on the front said open. We knocked on the door, and there's a little peephole in the door. And you could see that the light got blocked out. Somebody walked over and looked through the door, but they wouldn't answer it. And so I knocked again. And then it moved away from the door and you could see there was light through the peephole again. And I think we knocked a third time and they just wouldn't answer the <laughs> answer the door. So um, I kind of I, I was kind of like, well, oh, maybe <laughs> maybe they don't want to answer the door for me, you know, <laughs> specifically. Um, and it, it was kind of a joke, but it always kind of it always kind of hung with me. Yeah. And then uh, some time ago uh, it goes by and I was with some other friends and we were at a um, kind of a paranormal type convention uh, thing and uh, there was a psychic and I walked up to her table and I was with a, an, another lady that was in the group with us and uh, we're standing in line and I'm going to ask to get red, right? And she looks at me and she goes, oh, no, honey. I'll read her, but not you. <laughs> and, and I was like, wow, what what the hell is going on? And then when I first started this show, I had maybe two or three episodes done. A friend of mine said, hey, if you want to talk to a psychic, I went to this one after my, my baby died. Um, she's great. For the first 45 minutes, she was spot on with everything that she said kind of tailed off there in the last 10 or 15 minutes but he's like you should talk to her so I sent her email I said you know I'd really like to talk to you about your gifts and you know potentially what what all of it means and how it all ties into everything and she goes oh that sounds wonderful send me a couple episodes of your show and you know so I can have an uh, idea of you know what the format is well at the time like I said I only had a couple of shows and my first one was with a uh Uh, a reverend out of Kalamazoo, Michigan, who was a demonologist for the Catholic Church. He was um, able to do the the minor rite of exorcism. And the second episode, I believe, was uh, a Bigfoot episode. The third episode was a guy who said that he was visited by a very small, dark entity uh, when he was 17 (laughs) and believed that it was uh, extraterrestrial. So, you know, I, I waited a few days, five days ago go by. I, I sent her another message. I didn't hear from her. Sent her another message, and she finally replies. She's like, I walk the the side of the light, and blah, 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 blah. Good luck to you. Uh, I'm not interested. Huh. And so now I've got three psychics that won't talk to me, and I'm starting to get accomplished. Yeah.
1: Because
2: I'm like, you know, do I have something, you know, dark foreboding around me that these women or i think they were all yeah all three were women won't talk to me about and it wasn't until i had karen tetro on the show and she did a uh, as a thank you for having her on our show it was actually a two-parter she offered to do a reading for Mm -hmm. me And I said, yes, I would absolutely love that. And then I told her the whole story I just told you. And, uh, you know, when you say that there's like residual things that happen after you've had an experience, Mm -hmm. she confirmed and you just confirmed two instances in my life that I had had repeated things. Um, so when I was, when I was young, 12, 12 ish, there was, I had a UFO, what I believe to be a UFO in mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into it because I've, I've done, I've gone over this in my show before, but um, 1030, quarter 11 at night at home, grandma's babysitting me, um, watching creature feature on a Friday night and my entire neighborhood lit up oh. in the brightest light that you could possibly imagine. So bright that nothing cast a shadow wow. it was unbelievably intense, but you did not have to put you know you didn't have to squint or you know like shield your eyes. It was so bright, but yet you you could look normally at it it was it was just the most bizarre thing shortly after that, I had an experience that I never told anybody about because I thought that it made me sound crazy. And that was of a shadow person. Mm -hmm. And it was outside my door. It was standing at my doorway. My door was about two-thirds of the way shut. I was an only child. The only other two people that lived in the house were my mom and dad. My dad was shorter than me with a flat-top haircut, so he had a very distinctive silhouette. My mom had curly hair and was kind of a, a pudgy woman. And she had a very distinctive silhouette. This person that was standing at my doorway was very tall. No, nah, I'm not talking seven or eight feet tall. I'm talking, you know, maybe 6'1", six, 6'2". Six, um, completely black. Total silhouette. Mm-hmm. Saw no color, no, no skin tone, no nothing. When I would go to sleep, I'd have to have the hallway light on. And the hallway light would have been behind this figure's back. So it was backlit. So it was just complete shadow person or silhouette. And I'd never told anybody about it because I didn't know how to, you know. And in that reading that she did for me, she brought up that I've had a shadow person in my my past. Mm -hmm. And she says, it's really confounding because I don't know where this thing comes from mm-hmm. I, I don't know where it originates but it's letting me know that it's there in times of great distress when you are when there are choices to be made mm-hmm. she said you may see it in the corner of a, a room you may see it you know in the in the shadows of you know some other room as you pass by she says just know that i'm not getting anything negative from it but the concerning thing is i cannot tell where it's from right and i said well is it a is it a person and she goes i can't tell right typically if it's a if it's a human spirit i'm i'm aware exactly she goes i don't i don't know what this is so that was kind of scary now the second thing that you just brought up about the um The people that experience these uh, bizarre feelings, these waves, you even mentioned this watery, wavy feeling that comes over Uh
1: them.
2: In my fifth episode, I interviewed a Native American witch. Now, I assumed when I went there that she was going to be like a Native American shaman or, you know, Native American uh, uh, medicine woman. She was an actual practicing witch, Mm -hmm. black magic, white magic, Gray magic. She made no discern. She said, "I don't mind dabbling in either." She says, "I'm a good person, but if somebody hurts somebody that I'm close to, I'm not opposed to making that person pay." Right. And so during during this conversation, she brings up the fact that there are Sasquatch in the area around her home, and there had already been some some evidence that they were because I heard whooping. Sure. During the middle of the conversation, we are interrupted with this incredibly loud, voluminous um, scream, shout, noise, hoop. I don't even even know how to explain it. All I can tell you is that my body reacted immediately. Her body reacted immediately. We both had goosebumps. I had goosebumps on every inch of my body. Legs, torso, back of my neck, all the hair standing up and it kind of came in a wave Mm -hmm. and i had all this great recording equipment i knew that i captured the the sound of it because my mics were very sensitive so i couldn't wait to get home to to play it back so i could hear this incredible noise that just happened and when i got home there was barely barely in the back of just behind one of the words that she was pronouncing, you could just very, very slightly hear this.
0: Oh, wow.
2: And I was like,
0: What?
1: It was the... loud I mean, when you heard it,
2: and it was extremely loud,
1: and it was and almost like an internal took, noise inside you. And
2: it, it, you know, so on the way home, yes. I called my son, I said, Man, you gotta talk me down off this because I said, I don't know what the hell just happened. <laughs> And I had about a 35-minute drive home, so we talked about it, and he kept asking me, you know, what was it? What did it sound like? Was it a whoop? Was it a scream? Was it a this? Was it a that? And finally, I just had to say, shut up, Jake. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to explain it. All I know is I I heard it. Well, it took me three or four days, and people will say that they've been zapped
0: Mm -hmm.
2: when they're in the presence of Bigfoot. And it hit me. Oh, that what I heard was not what I heard. It's what I felt. Yeah. It's how my body reacted. Yeah. And as it, as it was happening, I got this, like, it, it became clear to me that it was like an electrical charge mm-hmm. and, and then it dissipated. It didn't go completely away, but it kind of lightened up a little bit and then it came back in a wave. Right. And it wasn't quite as strong, but it was there again. Right. And then it backed off. And then it came back again and it wasn't as strong. And pretty soon, you know, after three or four times, it, it was, it was gone Mm -hmm. and it dawned on me and I was like, holy shit, I got zapped. Yeah, That's what everybody is talking about. That's what they're talking about. So from, from the time that I came home after that, now, like I said, I live 35 minutes from this woman. So, I don't know, maybe 45, mile 45-mile 45 drive, 35-mile drive. I live in a brick house. I live in a brick ranch house, and I live in a neighborhood that has some trees in it, but no woods. And I have maybe 25, 30 feet between houses. I think there's 200, mm-hmm. 220 homes in this neighborhood. That night and for the two nights after that, at 2.20 in the morning, something hit the side of my brick house Mm. so loud, so hard that it woke me up three nights in a row. Now, house slapping is is a pretty common thing when you're talking to people who have had Bigfoot experience. Right. And I'm like, what the hell? What is, you know, there's no way in hell anything followed me to my home. It's not like they they got on a bike path and and, and rode their bikes here or or ran, followed my car home.
1: How did they get to me? And and that experience, I think, actually changes our, our body, but not just our body, but the synopsis. Just like the poltergeist rap, you didn't hear a yeah. physical whoop in the sense that noise normally happens. It was a buildup of, yep. you know, a tie to a wave and then back to smaller waves again. Because the experience was, and, and I keep using the term breakthrough, I can't think of another term. It's even like shadow people, they look like you took a human shape and punched it into reality And if you look at videos of genuine shadow people, and and I point to ghosts of Carmel, Maine and the lamb house, especially they don't reflect light the way an object would. They reflect it like a piece of black construction paper. So it's an entity, but it's also a hole punch into reality. And if that's the case, Yes. And, and yet at the same time, it reflects it like construction paper. So you can have it totally black, but if you hit it with a flashlight, it will reflect the light like any other object. And I've seen cases of this and it's mind blowing. It's like a piece of jet black cloth and you hit it with a light and you can see the light on it. It's reflecting it. Um, And it's like, how is this possible shadow can't reflect light? And yet it does. I it's, it's, I think that people too often simplify things. And, you know, also to bring up the fact that I wrote God in the paranormal because I'm a psychic medium and have been my whole life. I didn't use those words, but so, you know, these, these gifts, um, empathy, um, having an experience open you up to these, these punches into reality. So you never have just one. I don't know many people who have just one. It's usually several.
2: (laughs) And, you know, I mean, here's the thing. I think I've said this on my show before. If I were to sit down and, and, and do a show on all the things all the things that I've experienced in my life, people would think I'm a freaking whack job. Mm-hmm. When I think about it, I
1: think I'm a whack job. It's, it's mind blowing. You get people who have had one major experience. Like I, I just knew my kid had been in a, in a car accident at that moment. And then they don't want to think about it anymore. But when you have an experience and you dwell on it, why is it you always have more? What what opens you? What changes your brain so that you not just have others, but they get progressively more intense, last longer, have a buildup, an event, and then a crescendo to a downward spiral. Like you said, a wave, a wave, a wave, bam, a whoop, a wave, a wave, a wave. Yeah. Why? And why with Bigfoot, with UFOs, with ghosts, with demons, with apparitions? Why? I I don't yeah. know. That's why I love studying the field. Um, and you know I, I you know I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: No, it, there's there's another podcast out there, and they're very good at what they do. Uh, I'm not going to say the name of it, but they are there are two gentlemen who on on more than a regular occasion, profess that they are Christians. And I have no problem with that. But, you know, having listened to 50 other episodes, I get it. I understand you're Christians. Everything that they talk about, they make it sound that, Everything is completely and totally related to the pre-flood Bible. The books that yeah. the books that are no longer we're no longer allowed to read, that they don't tell us about, that you know, they're hiding mm-hmm. from us. And, you know, quite honestly, if if when I was going to Catholic school, if if those if those books had been talked about, if those stories in those books had been talked about. I would have been a lot more interested in the Bible. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> you know,
2: honestly, yep. I would have. Um, I have
1: all
2: of them. <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, and, and their show is great. I, I have no problem with it. I just, you know, so I, I guess I guess my point of bringing that up is, you know, you as well as I and, and I'm sure a, a large number of people feel that there is some common thread, there's some commonality between all of these things. But my question for you is, are you in the same boat as they are where all these things have to be related to the fallen angels and the watchers and, you know, all the the hybrids and the the distortion of DNA that that took place pre-flood?
1: Oh, God, they read that book. Yeah. Okay, so I know exactly what book they read. <laughs> I have it, the Nephilim disease. I've got that because um, <laughs> I like reading crackpot conspiracy stuff too. It's good to know what else is out there. Um, no, and and here's why: people who are Christian in an evangelical sense, um, they have a particular theology. And that theology is a faith-based theology. And what they mean by faith is faith gets you to heaven, but faith is defined as the intellectual acceptance of the proposition that Jesus was God, instead of biblical faith, which is total submission to everything that God wants for us and living the new commandment to love one another. So, Doing good things, you know, is part of what God wants from you. For them, God just wants you to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and boom, you go to heaven no matter what you do. That's the theology. To go out and murder people. You would still go to heaven because Jesus Christ is basically covering you like snow covers a dunghill, which is a literal phrase. <laughs> That's been used in the theology. Because of that... When you die, you either go to heaven or hell. There's absolutely nothing else. And that means that every single paranormal event is tied to demons. That's it. Mm -hmm. There can't be ghosts because you go to heaven or hell and you can't leave. There's no in between. You have no choice. The problem with that theology is, first of all, it's not biblical you know, Christians, Christians were Jewish <laughs> the first 300 <laughs> years, and, and Judaism didn't even believe that. There are ghosts in the Bible, several of them. In fact, that's why Jesus waited three days to raise Lazarus, because they believed that the life force could remain within the body for up to three days. But after that, the body was dead, dead. You know, Jesus kept eating with them because they believed ghosts couldn't eat. And so after the resurrection to prove to them that he wasn't a ghost, he let them touch him. And then he asked them for food. So it's in there. They believed in that. They also believed that what you did in this life, you could expiate in the next. And in Sheol, which is the name of the afterlife, in Sheol, you could be, you could go to a place of eternal punishment because you were so bad that you rejected God. It was your choice. You met him when you died. You said, I don't want to be with you. He said, okay, you can go where I'm not. And that's what we call hell. It's all about free will and choice. And there's free will in heaven As Lucifer fell. All right. So we have that option and God leaves that option open for us. And it's our choice. It's not because we didn't accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. It's because we got there and said, no, I'm so twisted by what I've done in my life. I don't want to be with you, God. Then there was the place. Thank you so place.
2: much for saying that.
1: That's, that's exactly what happens. And what purgatory, in my mind, is we escape the consequences of our actions in this life because we don't feel them. You're nasty to that clerk. You get to leave and go on with your day. You don't have to experience what she felt like. Also, we're very egotistical in this life. We think we can do everything for ourselves. When we die, afterlife experiences talk about the life review. And during the life review, you become the other person. You feel the consequences of your actions going forward throughout time. You were nasty to that clerk. Well, you know what? She got in the car and she was so upset at what she said to her. She got into a car accident. Now you feel that frustration from the people she hit and their financial. And it goes on and on and on. The purpose of it is twofold. You have to be purged of your ego to fully get to the other side, because what survives of you is consciousness, not ego. So this is why there's a gradation after death. And for me, if someone is too far away, I can't get to them. Like that, they've gone so far in the process of becoming divine, of divination, which is actually a Christian theological teaching in the Catholic church, going back to Christ. We're becoming God. We're becoming holy. And so they get to a point where they are so not them anymore. The them in this life, because their ego is so much gone, they're unrecognizable. They're unrecognizable. And I can't get to them.
2: Karen was telling me a story that was so similar to that, about a woman whose son, uh, her son passed away. Uh, I don't remember what the circumstances were, but... Like a year later, she was driving by the hospital, and she had never gone in and thanked the the nurses and the staff that had taken such good care of him. So she did, and when they got when she got there, um, one of the nurses remembered her and said, mm. "I have to tell you something." And she went on to tell her that a child who was in the hospital sick, I don't know what the the specifics were, was talking about being visited by a young man who was wearing Mm. a baseball hat and had long blonde hair, and it was the description of her son. Wow. And then somehow or another Karen came into the equation and was uh, able to contact the child and she said over the course of doing it several times that she was able to recognize that he, has, he was becoming less and less that woman's son. And, mm-hmm. and more something, uh, each time that she spoke with him, she, she was able to realize that his, his knowledge and his, um, I think she called it his ascension, Uh, was becoming greater and greater, and to the point where, like the last time that she had had any kind of convening with him, that he was not even very recognizable as being that person anymore.
1: Mm -hmm. Very, Um, very
2: similar to what you're saying.
1: Well, this is one of the things that when I go to paranormal conventions, I mention, look, my story, my language is Catholic." And I'm very comfortable with it. I know it very well. That doesn't mean that we're not all talking about the same thing using different words. So I don't... (laughs) When I get something nasty in my house, I call a shaman who's a Jewish boy from Brooklyn. And he remotely (laughs) takes care of what's here. Um, And we adore each other but because I know he can kick butt from where he is. He's crippled from where he is and older, and yet I'm like, David, something nasty's in my house, and he's like, all right, got it, and it's gone. (laughs) So so I love that.
2: Are you experiencing things in your home because you dabble in this? Are, Are these things that have... Uh, so to say, hitchh- hitchhiked their way into your, uh, your everyday? Or is, is this just something that is occurring and that many people might be having the same things happen, but they are so closed off to uh, not being open to this type of stuff that they just pass it off as some one-off, odd experience and then just put it away and forget about it?
1: was a really good question and i know for my own part um there are um i've got ghosts i've got ghosts of pets here everybody sees the little blue dog we Aww. see it we trip <laughs> over it you know and every psychic who's ever looked remotely is like what's with the little blue dog i mean it's here from the former owners blues, and blues. my nephew <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> And uh, my nephew's here. He drowned when he was two, but he's aged upwards. You age upwards or backwards to about between 30 and 35 in the afterlife. That's been really? my
0: experience.
2: So uh, yeah. So a child who is passed as an infant will Ages. will age.
1: I've because it's the soul, not before. the body. Yeah. Uh, a lot of mediums say the same thing. If you die when you're elderly, when I see you, you're... Aging backwards until you're younger and in your prime, mm. about thirty-three, and then the same with infants. Same, uh, honestly, and and I don't want to upset anybody, but I can see miscarriages, oh, my. and they're the age that they would be because the the soul is older than the body, um, and so they grow and not and not in normal time it's not like seven years later they're seven years old but they're older and able to communicate um and it's upsetting to people that i can do that yeah. but i'm like you had you know you have two kids i see four and you know and, and but it also brings comfort to know that they're not gone you know the souls are, are there and they're okay with what happened. They understand, and they're not angry, and they're very happy where they are, helping you.
2: Let me but, let me ask you something. As far, oh, sure. I, I told you this was going to happen, and 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 I apologize. I don't mean to cut That's you off, okay. but I, I have to ask these questions. So, I'm trying to think of how to ask this. Is it possible? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give a little more information than I probably should about myself. Um, As we were talking before we got into the recording, I told you about my mom and Mm -hmm. my mom was a very, very bubbly, very uh, humorous and uh, just, just a wonderful woman. She could not, you could be just a shit heel and she would find something nice to say about you. (laughs) So she is in the last seven or eight years, she has developed dementia and it Mm -hmm. is, it is now to the point where um, I would say a very large portion of her day to day is spent not in reality. Right. When I had my reading she had two figures that presented her presented themselves to her that were speaking on my behalf. One was a, one was a woman. She said she was, she was quite portly. uh, I think were the words she said. And my mom in her younger years, she was very heavy set. She had bariatric surgery and, and lost a lot of weight. She's, barely anything now and who she was describing personality wise and you know nudging uh, there was the other the other person was a a a large male wearing work boots
1: oh god I'm sorry I saw that person when we were talking earlier with his hand on your shoulder and overalls and the farmer goosebumps all over Yeah. Overalls, the the farm guy, big, big man, six foot five, three hundred pound type, yeah. Oh my word! That just creeped me out <laughs> when you said that. I'm like, I saw him with his hand on your shoulder when you mentioned the psychic reading.
2: I'm not. Go ahead. I'm, I'm not kidding you. I've got.
1: <sighs> Did she mention gotta, overalls I, and all I, that? I, I got to take or, a second because it's a farm guy.
2: <laughs> um.
1: Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry about your mom. <laughs>
2: be <sighs> uh I, i'd have to go back and and look at it again I, I don't remember her saying anything about overalls but the one thing that did stand out was that he had very large he was a very large man he was sitting sitting down and <laughs> and had uh very large work boots um <sighs> so my my question was going to be um like in the instance of my mom since mm-hmm. since she is not who she was before does a does a part of her soul leave pre death
1: gotcha. I understand what you're asking. And um, it's absolutely possible, and I say that for two reasons. First, there's there's no time. So I think sometimes when psychic mediums see someone and you're like, no, I don't know who that is, you're thinking of a dead person, but outside of time, we could talk to ourselves if we wanted to because our spirit can be present at all times. So, yes, it's very possible that she was talking to your mom. Um, second, my grandmother just died of dementia. Oh, I'm sorry. And I happen to think that um, the, the way I view, you know, the soul and the, the mind versus the brain, you have the hardware, which is the brain, and the software, which is the soul. The software can't run properly if the hardware is broken and vice versa. All right. So if the soul is functioning inside the brain, um, but the brain itself isn't functioning, I think it's perfectly possible for the soul to either become locked or to be able to leave. It depends on the person. In the instance of my Nana, the soul was locked. And when she passed, I was talking to my aunt who managed to keep her home. Even when my grandmother was violent and couldn't walk anymore, she kept her home and it was very difficult on her, but she did it because she made that promise to her. So Nana dies. She's 93. Um, and I see her and she was so confused because the last thing she remembered was four years ago. Yeah. And the soul is like, what just happened? she couldn't fathom that she had just died because she doesn't remember even being sick um, but you know I, I helped a little bit and my my papa who had passed away years ago was there waiting for her so was her cousin so was her sister so she figured it out but I think it is also possible if the person is the type to be like <laughs> The soul, forgive me, because I could kind of feel your mom's personality. If they're the type to say, oh, screw this, I'm going for a walk, or something <laughs> like the soul's just like, I'm done. I'm done with this. Yeah, I think they can. Um, it really depends on the person and whether they're the type and whether they, they realize they have the ability. And my Nana was a very, very close-minded person to many things. I mean, she wouldn't take medication because she thought that was what drug addicts did, including steroids for her arthritis or she took nothing her whole life except vitamins. And so she was just very, very focused on what she believed in. And that was that. So she wouldn't have thought it was possible. Maybe your mom in conversations with you, maybe she thought it was possible. And so she was able to do it. I think it I think it is very possible that she's talking to your mom wow
2: you blew me away with the big guy
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry yeah big dirty hands i just get like pig farmer off this guy i don't know who he is way back but yeah he's he's huge but here's the weird thing i can't see his head i can only see the shoulders downward can't see the guy's face.
2: And that like was gonna, his head's in
1: the clouds. That
2: was going to be my next question was, were you able to see the shape of his head? Nope. Because I know... Nope,
1: it's like there's no head. <laughs> it's like the guy has no head.
2: I don't know. You know both, of, both of my... Both of my grandfathers... Passed um, right around the age of fifty. Um, my dad's dad was was a, a very trim, um, very trim guy. My my mom's dad was a, a, v- a fairly large. I think I think six two, six three. Um, robust, overweight, um, and he was he died when i was very very small i think 2 years old maybe but the pictures that i've seen of him and and from what i can remember my dad telling me of him he was a very large presence he would even when he would like drive the vehicle drive their car it was almost he would <laughs> this is what always stood out to me he would say that your your grandpa louis would always just kind of like his arms would just wrap around the steering wheel like he was you know like he was getting ready to just yank it out of the dashboard um yeah so i don't know if that's i don't know if that's my grandpa louie i don't i mean he was a, a tool and die designer so i don't i don't know where the farmer thing would come
0: into play
1: that's just this—the this sense I have of mm. of the the dirt all over him, and there's something about uh, pigs in a farm. Maybe you grew up on one. I don't know. Well,
2: I do know my dad's. Um, my dad, <laughs> when I was young, my dad hunted a piece of property um, that was um, very close to Bendix Woods, which was a large proving grounds for Bendix back in back in the day, and. There are salagis out there, which that's my last name. Um, there are salagis out there that still own farms.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I'm I know my dad was kind of an outcast of his family. He was kind of like the black sheep. So mm-hmm. there were never any family reunions or anything like that. The only person I ever really knew of his was his great grandparents and and my grandmother. Um so it wouldn't surprise me to know that you know some relation was was a farmer
1: do you know how he passed i don't know why i can't see his head i have
2: no idea um oh my 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 grandpa louis he he would have passed both of them passed as uh heart attacks
1: mm. smokers it's it's weird i am usually I'm usually a hundred percent. There's always like some reason. I don't know why I can't see his head. It's like completely, it's almost like his head is through a roof. Like he's too tall. (laughs) It's just gone. It's just gone. It's so weird. Um, I'm sorry about that. But anyway, (laughs) I saw him when you said that nobody would read you. And I'm like, Oh, he's got this big guy behind him. (laughs) That's all the that occurred to me. So <laughs> he's I'm, a huge, huge personality. Um, just and and very um, not not angry, but possessive of you. Really, that that hand on your left shoulder is very heavy. Get off me! Get off me! Get off Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe that's what scared the other psychics away because he's just like nope. I don't know. Maybe he didn't like psychics. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, that but anyway, I'm so sorry. Bizarre. I didn't mean to freak you out. Well, yeah. no,
2: I mean it, it was it was a good kind of you know like a, vali- a validating freak out. I guess you could put it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but boy, man, when you said it, holy crap! Did I get chills? Wow. Oh. Huh. Awesome. You, do you see anybody else around me? <laughs> Yes. Because oh, the God. reason the reason I ask, the reason I ask mm-hmm. is and, and I'm not testing you, that's not the point of this. Um, oh
1: no, I understand. Um
2: Karen Karen specifically called out one uh one individual that she she was very adamant about, and she gave me a very clear description of him. And hmm. I there is not one iota of recognizing the the description that she gave me so i was just curious if you if you saw anybody else
1: i'm i've got um and and here's the thing i'm i'm tired so that's so that always affects me um but i i've got a young man with blonde hair uh, oh, 30s you. and uh it, it's a it's a it's a guardian. It's like a guardian angel for you, Christina. Um, its name starts with a P. Petra, which which actually is Aramaic for rock. No, Aramaic for uh, it's um, Greek for rock. Petra. Yeah, wearing white, <sighs> hair's longish.
2: Oh my god! Are you kidding me?
1: No. Wearing you, white robe, hair is long, blonde hair, piercing blue eyes, very um shit. guardian. I guess Christina, I guess I'm similar to what she I, said
2: I have never told anybody about that oh. that third figure that came through. And she give me a minute. Okay. blonde hair long blonde hair piercing blue eyes mm-hmm. very trim
1: mm-hmm.
2: and she said the same thing that he was a guardian
1: and there you go it, it's it's your guardian angel his name is is Petra Peter Peter <sighs> and dad um, I know mine mine is Solomon I, I, he's very funny we have great discussions about money um, <laughs> but yeah this this is your guardian angel and he's very very strong around you he saved you recently you had a near miss car Riff. I don't know if this sounds familiar you had a near miss
2: not that I was aware of
0: Yeah,
1: maybe it's maybe it's coming. I don't know. He really, really protects you. Uh,
0: <laughs> I mean, like
1: knocks things oh, oh. out of the way, like in a crazy manner. Like all of a sudden, you know, a car will be barreling to you, and a truck will hit it out of the way. I that have kind
2: to, of protection I have to take, I have to take that back. Um, Twenty nineteen christmas eve day i was pulling out of a parking lot it was snowing uh slushy really slushy pulled out got into the um it was a four-lane highway with a center lane uh, turn turn lane i pulled out of my side got into the turn lane to merge onto southbound traffic and a um an suv just tore the front end of my car off. Mm. I mean, that's, that was a couple of years ago. That was the only thing that I can think of that. I mean, unless something happened that I was completely unaware of.
1: No. And, and the thing, the thing, again, the time thing that that's kind of hard to nail down. Like I, I can, I can give people addresses. I can give them names, but if I say it's coming, and I say like six months; it could be six years, because nailing down the time yeah. when you're dealing with these intersections is very difficult. But he said, "Car, it was a car; it was a near miss. You were okay, and it was because of him." Um, and uh, I, this this happened to me. I had a psychic read me when I was in college. It freaks me out to this day, the things he said that at the time I was like, "Ah, I'd like to see you try that one. And then it came true. Uh, (laughs) That I was a healer and that's turned out to be absolutely true. I actually just cleared someone's artery. They're like, your artery's blocked. We have to do uh, uh, angioplasty. He goes in, arteries are fine. Right right over. So he told me all this weird stuff. But one of the things he said to me was that I was going to have a car accident. He said six months. It wasn't six months. It was 16 months. And it's the car accident that wrecked my back. Really? (laughs) Yes. And what's interesting is he said that my guardian angel Solomon would protect me. Well, what happened was it made a left hand turn on a green arrow. A woman not paying attention, passed a stopped car at her red light and went through it going 50 and hit my car. Now, had she broadsided me, I'd have been killed. I was in this little Chevy. She was in this huge Mercedes going 55 miles an hour in a 30. But when I went to hit the gas to make the left, my foot missed the gas pedal. know how many times that has happened in my entire life at one time she hit the very front of my car and like you kind of tore it and it was the sideways and then getting slammed into the door while I spun that wrecked my spine so yeah but the time was wrong he said six months and it was 16 it's just weird, the time factor. But, yeah, he did, Peter, and that name is so strong, and it's it's Petra, like Russian. There's something Russian about this guy. But um, Peter, yeah, Peter in English, um, he's like, he did that. I did that. Wow. Well, I guess that's validation for you, though, because now you've got two psychics who said, "Okay, I'll read you." <laughs> you the same guys.
2: <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, I thought, I thought to myself, I mean, in my head, I'm thinking, ask her about, ask her if there was anybody else, ask her if there was anybody else, and yeah. and I wasn't going to because I didn't want you to think that I was testing you, or you know, I didn't want to be rude and. Uh, or have it come off as me being like oh yeah well who else is there you know um
1: but but he I, wanted I, you to he wanted you to know he's there and that he's real yeah
2: so she did this reading via messaging to me and hmm. and I just found the the message um Someone else is coming in, and they whistle. This man is coming through, walking, slowing in form like a long walk. His white shirt, young looking, long, Uh long narrow face. He honestly looks like he honestly looks like Jesus a bit with longer hair. He's whistling. There's a calmness about him. He has bright blue eyes. And she kept going back to the shape of his face.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, the shape of his face.
1: He very, very skinny. Like, like surfer-like. That's, like. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's crazy. (laughs) So going back to Jay's comment, are you kind of surprised? (laughs) Um,
2: (laughs) You know, I'm, I'll say this, that I'm surprised that, um, I'm surprised that there's any, you know, my, my experience with the Catholic religion is very limited. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: So
2: um, I, I'm surprised that there's somebody out there that, you know, because Episcopal, I can't even say it.
1: Uh, I know who you mean. Episcopalians. <laughs>
2: Episcopalians. That's mm-hmm. that's like a combination or uh, kind of a, a melding between Catholic and Protestant, correct?
1: Yes. In, in actuality, yeah. You can get ones that are very Catholic and ones that are very Protestant. Um, but yeah. So I would say that's accurate.
2: It surprises me that there is somebody who and and being an archbishop on top of that, you know, you're obviously up the ladder uh significantly from just your your person that walks into a church to to worship. Um that one you talk so freely about this stuff to you experience those things. You know, it was always in my mind. It's like if you were Catholic and you came out and said that you had all these, um, these abilities, these, these gifts, I mean, for Christ's sake, the, the church that I went to as a kid, when I went to get married, at this Catholic church, you know, my, my wife at the time, she was willing to convert and, and all that stuff. And then they went back and they, they delved into the, uh, uh, the paperwork, finding out, uh, that there had been no, no donations to the church in, in my oh. name. And oh. and then they sent the little old lady that works in the rectory out to, to tell me that father, whatever his name was at the time, didn't think it was prudent for the, the church to do the, the wedding because there was no donations.
1: Oh um, yeah, so yeah. That,
2: that's my experience. So
1: oh yeah, you know, um, religious trauma doesn't doesn't that, it, it? makes you feel rejected by God. I hate when they do that. Really do. Um, but it, 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 see when I started using these gifts, I was a very conservative Roman Catholic, very, and I used these gifts under the guise of being a charismatic Catholic. Which in the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church, Charismatics is kind of a movement that melds Pentecostalism with very conservative Roman Catholicism. And we had a group. I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: Pentecostals, um, forgive me for my illiteracy as far as religions go, but Pentecostals, aren't they like the fire and brimstone snakes and, you know? Yes. Okay, all right.
1: But one of the things that there and I apologize, I throw these words around because I teach at our seminary, mm-hmm. and I apologize. <laughs> I no, that's gotta all right. remember. I just I, just um, couldn't,
2: I couldn't find my uh, my uh, r- religious uh, religious sex of the world du- for dummies one oh one. I couldn't find my book, so <laughs> no,
1: it's it's my bad. Uh, but Pentecostals, what they believe in, the power of the Holy Spirit to affect miracles you your life. Now, you know, don't drink poison or handle snakes, something that some of them do. Probably good advice. But, yeah. <laughs> but charismatic Catholics believed in the same thing. So I did not call myself a psychic medium until 2011. But I could talk to dead people and I could tell people their future. I had the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that in my book, I talk about that, that <laughs> psychic mediums have every gift that Jesus said we would get from the Holy Spirit. So how are they evil? Just because we use a different word. Mm -hmm. And I was in this very conservative Catholic group approved by the priest. They loved it. We're so conservative. We were so, you know, the Pope is always right. God bless the fact that no women can be ministers. I didn't really buy that, but I had to give it lip service. (laughs) But in this group, we would speak in tongues. Which, you know, to, to, it sounds strange to people, but really the, the, the point to it is that when you pray, sometimes finding the right words get in the way. And so, you know, if you just make kind of a, a babbling, humming, singing, whatever, with no words, it's more the intention. It frees your brain. Yeah, it frees your brain to really do more of a meditative prayer, to just sort of shoot your emotions like a laser to God so scream so we would do that and then I would lay hands on people who were sick and they started bringing people in because they started getting healed <laughs> you know i i have tumors that keep growing in my bladder I pray over him three years later. He hasn't had a single one return. And then this one has a cyst and they're going to do surgery. And then they do the test and the cyst is gone. And this one, and it was just happening constantly, freaking me the hell out. I would <laughs> touch Someone and be like, you know, your great grandma, Maude. Is it? And it was totally okay with everyone because I called it the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The second I said psychic medium, that was it. The gifts are the same. What I do is the same. I still pray over people to heal them. I still, you know, pray in tongues sometimes. I still do readings and, and help people when I can and do sort of spiritual guidance with them. And, but I'm using the wrong words. And, and that's where we get tricked up the fact that the vocabulary is different doesn't mean that the content is too. And I think we all have to remember the fact that we're using different language doesn't mean that what you're doing is wrong because you're using this term and I prefer this one. And that drives me nuts.
2: Do you think it's a coincidence that so many religions throughout the world have so many similarities and so many, um, flood events and, um, you know, resurrection type things. And I guess the point I'm getting at is I understand that you had a calling to God and you chose the, the road that you're on. Do you think that even though other people, other other cultures have changed the uh, the narrative uh, for for whatever reason, whether it was to uh, be more reflective of them as a people, or, or do you think we're all talking about the same God, or do you think that there are are religions out there that are just completely batshit off off the mark? <sighs>
1: I don't want to call out anything specific. I think that, I think that, yes, in general, we're all talking about the same God. We're all using different language for the same things. Like if I say someone's going through purgation and becoming pure, a Tibetan Buddhist would say they're going through the bardos, mm-hmm. which is the doorways through the afterlife in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and you have to meet a demon at each one. And um, a, a Hindu would say that they're going through the, the cycle of the egg, the, the stretching and the collapsing, and that they're entering the next life and that they're ascending. The common thread is ascension, there's a process after we die, by which we continue growth. Now we're all using metaphors. We're all using, and I'm not saying that there are no Bardo's. I'm not saying that there are no gates or anything like that. We're seeing it from our cultural lens. Everything in religion is a mix between human experience and divine breakthrough into the world. And when God breaks into the world, that event has ripples that go outward like a rock in a lake and they ripple through eternity. So one of the things that I love about Christianity was that it was the only religion that said that instead of us dying for love of God, God died because he loved us and that turned everything on its head. And so I find that narrative that God loved us so much that he wanted to experience what it was like to be us so that he could help us more. And I found that incredibly compelling. And so that's the religion I entered. And of all the versions of Christianity, Catholicism is the oldest, the most Jewish And the one that incorporated the most of my experience, Uh, you could pray to saints. They're dead people. Mm -hmm. It's okay to have a relationship with them. it, It incorporated all of my experiences. But when God breaks in, like for Judaism, by giving the law, by appearing on earth with his finger, the reason the Ten Commandments are the most important of the 636 laws in Judaism is because God wrote them with his finger in stone. That's why they're the most important. So, you know, we all have these stories of God stepping into our reality to do something for us and then leaving. And did God not go on Mount Sinai and give the law I wasn't there. I believe he did. Did God not ascend Buddha and make him um, divine in his wisdom? Probably did. I don't have the right to say that I have all the answers and you don't. But every faith has that intersection between human culture and psychology and actual divine intervention. There are certain religions, and I call them animistic religions, and, and these are shamanistic religions. Like, For example, I use voodoo. In voodoo, the, the central theme is everything is poison, nothing is poison. It's all about intent, and in the spiritual life, everything is intent. Your intentions actually affect reality on a subatomic level, according to quantum physics. So,
0: and that's
2: you know, when, that's, that's why prayer works, correct?
1: Exactly, prayer works. Positive thinking works. Why does writing something down a hundred times a day work? <laughs> it's intention. Right. That's why when people say, "How do I protect myself?" Can I buy a rosary? And I'm like, "Are you Catholic? Do you believe in this?" No. Well, then don't do it. You know, when people sage their house, but they're not Native American and don't know anything about the process of saging or why they do it or what's special about it, it's not going to work because it's belief, you know, like demons, there's in every single world religion, there is exorcism. So there are evil entities and you don't ask me to go read from the Quran to get rid of a demon. Because I don't understand it enough to believe it. And so I use my language. Doesn't mean that, a, that an imam can't expel a demon using the Quran by reciting certain seras, certain chapters. So I think that they all have experienced this <laughs> this tendency of God to remain hidden. And, and I'm going to give you a, a, a quick example. It is one of the most brilliant shows, episodes ever. And it was Futurama. I don't know if you remember <laughs> that show. All right. <laughs> okay. So Bender has been shot into space and the momentum, he will keep moving. And he goes, um, as he goes, these little bacteria grow on his chest and they think he's God. And every time they ask him to help them, he screws up the crops won't grow because they don't have sun. So he puts down a shield and he sets fire to all the people. And they're like, why, God, why? And he's like, oh, no, what did I do? And then they develop more and they're angry because there are now bacteria on Bender's ass And they're heretics, and they want Bender to kill the bacteria on his ass. And he tries to do that, and he winds up killing the people who asked him. Finally, they're all dead because Bender kept screwing up. And as he goes through space, he encounters this thing. It looks like a supernova, and it talks to him. And Bender's like, who are you? Are you God? And it says, it's probable I know everything and can do anything. And Penter says, how do you do it? (laughs) Every time I tried to help them, I screwed up. And this entity said the most brilliant religious line in all of history. He says, being God, it's like being a safe cracker. You have to have a soft touch. If you do too much for them, they become dependent and helpless. If you do too little, they become despondent. The trick is that once you've done something, they're not sure that you did anything at all. Wow. And that still gives me chills. Yeah. God hides in plain sight. God expects us to look for him. Why? Because our egos will never believe anything that we have not experienced for ourselves. And so he invites us, impulses us, and he may do it in a major way with a religious event that affects thousands, millions. He might do it in a minor way for an individual, but you're never quite sure it was him. And that's the way he wants it because otherwise we will become dependent, helpless, or we will become despondent. God did not want action figures. God wanted children. And so we have the choice and the option to not love him, to not care, to walk away. And he risks losing us by giving us the gift of free will. Wow. I didn't mean to preach. I'm sorry. No, that,
2: that was that was an amazing uh, that was amazing. Um, I have to ask you this. So, a um, a a very Christian gentleman made a comment to me a couple of years ago. First thing in the morning, says, "I prayed for you last night." And that's an odd thing to hear from somebody first thing in the morning. <laughs> and I said, "Well, thank you. Um, what what made you decide to do that?" And he said, "Well, I'm afraid you're not going to make it."
1: <laughs>
2: and I said, "I'm not going to make it." Could you be a little more specific? And he said, basically, that because I did not believe the way he believed, Mm -hmm. that I was going to be one of the ones left behind. And, you know, I understand that what he was saying was like, a nice thing and that he was trying to get across to me that I need to be different than what I am. Mm -hmm. Here's my thing. When I believe in something, I believe in it wholeheartedly.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: But I am a very science minded person. Right. Right. And that creates a lot of questions. And my belief is that God what and let me preface by saying whatever God is, I don't I don't think of God being when I think of God, I think of the creator. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think of this older gentleman in a white robe with a big, long, flowing white beard sitting on a cloud throne.
1: Right, I call him for, cosmological Santa Claus, God. Yeah,
2: yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. Now, mm-hmm. I'll even go as far as to say that it probably would not surprise me to find out that God was even though they say we were created in god's image it wouldn't surprise me if god was extraterrestrial
0: mm.
2: you know a a different a different form of life entirely a supernova uh a you know uh, a reverse black hole i don't know <laughs> i don't know you know it, all i know is that you know in my heart i believe there is something out there that i believe there is something more Mm-hmm. But he says that because I have questions, that means that I haven't accepted Christ into my life, and that it'll be it'll be I shouldn't laugh. It'll be too I'm sorry. late. Well, it is. I think it's okay to laugh because I. You know, he said, you know he went through the whole thing you you'll be left behind and you know the souls will go to heaven and then you'll be left here to live out in purgatory or whatever which is whatever not true. whatever the hell it is that he explained and and I looked at him and I was like you know I can I can be a um, a, a verbal combatant if if that's what you want to do with me <laughs> I I am I am intelligent enough and I have enough uh command over the the uh, the intelligent English language that I can go toe to toe with somebody if you really want to do that. But I I I understood that he wasn't trying to be nasty but in the way that he presented it it did not come off well. <laughs> right. And and I just simply looked at him and I said, "Well, My God won't leave you behind. My God wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. I said, You tell me that I can go and kill an entire street worth of people, I can kill an entire family, I can kill children. But as long as I accept Christ into my life, I'm forgiven. But yet, me, who has been a um, a provider, a a good uh, role model for my children, a a good father, um, somebody who has always gone and sacrificed things for myself so that my family could have what they needed. Um, that just because I haven't done things your way, that person who has killed. 15 people in Phoenix, Arizona, can say, I accept Christ in my life. Are we good? Yes, I'm in. But Mm -hmm. because I have questions, and you view that as me not accepting a part of your religion into my life, I'm going to be left behind. Mm -hmm. I said, my God wouldn't do that to you. And he's like, well, boy, I hope you're right, but I don't think you are. (laughs) (laughs)
1: well unfortunately you are um for him anyway um that whole rapture thing isn't true it's not in scripture it is an invention it was invented in 1841 by a jesuit priest in south america who wrote a commentary on second thessalonians and completely misread one of the lines and said oh god's gonna come back not twice Jesus isn't going to come twice. He's going to come three times and one of them's going to be in secret to take people away. And the church said, you moron, no one has ever said that about this line and that's not what Paul meant. He was talking about the Roman parade, which is when a hero warrior would return after winning a battle, all of the citizens would run out of the city meet the warrior and process in with him because it was all of their victories. That's what Paul was talking about. And so they shut the guy down. But unfortunately, the press that printed this book, there were a couple of people who worked there, including Paul Schofield, who wrote an evangelical Bible about and the rapture was now a doctrine. It was suppressed. And then in 1970, Hal Lindsay wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth, where he said there is going to be four secret times. <laughs> Jesus is going to come four <laughs> times, two secret times. And it's like, well, the thing where they talk about one will be taken, the other will be left a- behind. They don't tell you the first few words of that sentence, which is it will be like in the days of Noah. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken. One will be left behind. The guy who was taken was taken by the flood and killed. What is wrong with these people? You can't take scripture like that. you got to take all of it in context. So anyway, there's no such thing. They, they, They made it up. It blew up. Everybody thinks it's been some teaching since the beginning, and it was a misunderstanding by a Jesuit priest in 1841. So, no, it's not a Christian teaching. It drives me crazy when people talk about it. And and the thing is, it, it it's, it's wrong. He's misunderstanding when Jesus said, you have to, you know, if you want to be saved, you have to follow me. All right. He also said, if you want to be saved, you have to be baptized. If you want eternal life, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. If you want eternal life, you have to follow my commandments. If you want to go to heaven, I mean, Jesus even talks about in Matthew, he talks about those beautiful acts of mercy. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And so he sends the blessed to the right. And he says, and the wicked will say to us, but Lord, Lord. When did we see you naked? When did we see you hungry and not give you anything? And he said, what you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. And now go off into the eternal fire where there is grinding and gnashing of teeth. They were Christians. Lord, Lord, they're calling him God. Lord, Lord, but we didn't see you naked and hungry. And he said, you saw your fellow man naked and hungry and did nothing. So you don't get saved. (laughs) <laughs> you, you can't take little pieces of Scripture and leave the rest behind. <laughs> exactly. Because I can take two sentences from the New Testament and prove that Jesus is Satan. <laughs> <You can> do, <laughs> it's that easy. So, you know, it's it, we call it um, uh, proof texting which means you go into the text with this preconceived notion and you just look for any little pieces that validate what you believe instead narrative. of reading the whole thing in its original context, yep. in the original languages. So, yeah, no, he's, he's, cher- he's silly.
2: cherry-picking to fit your narrative.
1: Exactly. Paul defined the opposite of faith as disobedience. Not unbelief, not skepticism, disobedience, disobedience to the greatest commandment—you have to love others as you love yourself. Uh, you know, you love God and you love others as you love yourself. That Jesus said was what you had to do, and you know that's that's what we have to do. I, I know, an Archbishop uh, I. You know, study the paranormal, I'm a professor of theology and scripture at our seminary, which is open to the public and seeking accreditation. I have an orphanage in Kenya that my husband and I personally work to gain the $500 a month to feed those 15 kids so they don't end up up on the street and in sex trafficking. We have a young mother's ministry where when women get pregnant in Kenya, they're often kicked out of the house and we train them in how to do different jobs so they can get a job. We have a fresh water outreach out there. My priest in Ohio has um, a homeless ministry. My bishop in Pennsylvania, same thing, homeless ministry. LGBTQ ministry across Africa to try to help people who are living in countries where it's illegal. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that you have to follow the command to love others and to give as much as you can, because when you die, you're not going to take all of that nonsense you believed with you. You're not going to take your money. The only thing that goes with you is what you did And what you loved; those are the only two things that get to go with you.
2: Well said. I've got one more thing for you. Sure. One more thing. Sorry,
1: I don't mean to keep going on. No, you're fine.
2: This is this is what makes my show so enjoyable for me, Um, and apparently, other people like it too. So, uh, like I said (laughs) in the beginning, I'm I'm not changing, and uh, wherever the conversation goes, it goes. Um so in light of the the past couple of most recent years with the uh, let's call it the slow soft disclosure of um our government finally admitting that uh, UFOs unidentified mm. aerial phenomenon is happening mm-hmm. and is in our in our skies other governments throughout the world have have been more open than we have for for years about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess this is going to be a hypothetical thing, and I and I mean absolutely no disrespect to your your faith when I ask you this. If extraterrestrials are real and they exist, and they they come here and they visit us, or they are watching us. does that change your does that change your faith at all? Does you know would their existence shatter your beliefs? Would it change it?
1: It's a, it's a really good question because I've been watching, too. I mean, just the, the, the um, admission that the U.S. government spent $22 million in the UFOs <laughs> over the course of 20 years. And what did the major news outlets do about it? Get your tinfoil hats mm-hmm. ready. It's almost like all of them have to make it a joke. Like they've all been told to make it look like a joke. Um, it wouldn't change anything for me. It it would shatter other (laughs) notions of, you know, the universe and how things work. Um, but no, it would just mean that the universe that God created was even bigger and more complex than anything I had ever seen or thought of or dreamt. It would be like me finding out that there was another continent of people. Mm. I don't have to proselytize them, but they exist now. And, you know, they get folded into my own worldview. um, And then I I continue. I'm, I'm sure that they'll be, Discussions of like panspermia, right. the theory that aliens altered DNA on Earth and caused life to change and grow. Mm-hmm. That would be no different than my beliefs now in evolution. I believe in evolution. It makes sense that God would take time for us to conform to it, it nature. just makes sense. Yeah. It wouldn't change anything.
2: You see it in everything else on this planet. Right. So why wouldn't it have been on us as well? You know I I get the idea behind religions making us feel that we are special, that we are, you know, we are so much more than anything else here.
1: Dolphins have souls. Elephants have souls. I'm telling
2: you, I think my dog has soul.
1: (laughs) My dog has a soul how would it be heaven if the pets that I loved and lost weren't there? Yeah. I mean, my dog came back the same day we put him down. My nephew brought him home. We hear him. We see him. And we lost him in January, my little chihuahua. So.
2: I don't think. Our souls. Our souls recycled.
1: I believe in reincarnation, but that not everybody is reincarnated. Um, I believe that we come back. And and actually, actually, that's in the New Testament, too. People don't know where to look, but I do. <laughs> it's really? in there. Yes. Have you ever heard of a Dybbuk? Yes. Yeah. It's not a Jewish demon. There's two
2: well, forms. There's ghost the Adventures ghost Adventure says it's a Jewish demon.
1: I know, and, and I'm sorry, but they don't know what I know, like Hebrew. Uh, <laughs> and then there's the ibis. There, are two spirits, all right? It's a spirit, a soul in heaven that incarnates into a body already living. So there are two souls in the body, and the ibis will come, and it will bump the soul that's in the body up ascended a bit, or it will do some good work for the community. And then it will leave. Like we call things like flow we're, we're working and then boom, we're in flow. We are so focused on what we're doing. And the final product is absolutely amazing. That would be an indication like an Ibis came and helped you. The Dibis it is a soul from the other side that enters the body but then refuses to leave. It's an attachment, not a demon. So the Dybbuk box, you know, a demon, of course, can attach to, and the two just became absolutely messed up with Kabbalistic magic and stuff. It just it got so messed up in the consciousness of the world because of movies and TV shows like that. Sure. But in the New Testament, and Jesus says to the apostles, who do people say that I am? Some say Elijah, others John the Baptist. John the Baptist is contemporary with Jesus. They lived at the same time. How could Jesus be John the Baptist? They're talking about the Ibis. How could Jesus be Elijah? Elijah went up to heaven. Reincarnation. They say to Jesus about the man born blind, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. How did he sin in the womb? There are several of those references there. Um, Reincarnation was an actual belief in Second Temple Judaism, which is what we call the time period between 200 B.C. and 100 years after Jesus' birth. It was a belief. It still is in Kabbalism and in mystical Judaism and in some strands of, of um, contemporary Judaism. Reincarnation is a belief. Of course, God can send a soul back. I, he can do anything. He made the soul. So I happen to believe very strongly in it. And and I've actually done past life work with, with people um, Uh, who were experts.
2: That leads me to a piggyback question. Do you think or is there any is there any reason to think in any of your studies or your years of experience that there is a finite number of souls available?
1: Um it's called the House of Guff. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's in um, what we call pseudepigrapha, which are books that aren't in the Old Testament, but um, were written. You have to understand Judaism determined what books go in the Old Testament. In 70 AD, everything was game. And there are actually references to Enoch in the New Testament. There are references to a book called Um, the Apocalypse of Moses in the New Testament. So they're they're mentioned and they were accepted by everybody during Jesus' time. He quotes from them too. And in one of them, and forgive me, I don't remember which one this is mentioned. God has a collection of souls in an area of himself, and it's referred to in Judaism as the House of Guff, G-U-P-H, And there are tales of what will happen when the last soul is born, and I think that was even the the premise of the movie The Seventh Sign. Yes, yeah, yeah. They brought up the House of Guff in that, which was very interesting. Someone did a little bit of research. They do a little bit of research on the show Supernatural too, but of course, I remember that movie now. Yeah, the House of Guff. A human being would be born without a soul because the souls were gone, and that would be the Antichrist was their premise. Um, It was very interesting that they used the House of Guff. But, you know, anyway, (laughs) I don't know. It's a really interesting question. I don't know. I don't think every soul comes back. Um, I know I've met people that I've known before. And we've both recognized it. How many times have we hung out together? (laughs) So it happens. I I did a past life regression and they're like, okay, how many doors are in the hallway? I was like, I can't see the end of the hallway. (laughs) So it's, I think that that happens. Um, But you know what? Here's, here's my hope. When I die (laughs) and it goes, I go to the other side and they start to learn all this cool stuff. Uh, I hope that more often than not, instead of saying, Oh damn, I was so wrong. I'll be able to smack my head and say, Oh, I was so close. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I honestly, I couldn't even speculate on that. I, You know, if I believe God can do anything and that each soul is a spark from the divine that he shrinks and then sends into human bodies like a little factory, then no, there can't be a limit. But has he decided there's a limit? I don't know. And I'm only using he because it's convenient, not because I I believe God's three men. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I don't know. (laughs) It's a really good question.
2: Archbishop Christina Rake, it has been my absolute pleasure getting to talk with you this evening. We are thank you. We are at two hours and seventeen minutes uh, as far as the recording (laughs) goes, and we are almost at the three-hour mark for our complete conversation before we've started recording. I can't thank you enough (laughs) for taking the time that you have with me, and quite honestly. Um, I've got so much more I would like to talk to you with uh, or about. Uh, so, if you would be open to it at another time, I would love to revisit this conversation.
1: Oh, absolutely! It's it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you. I really appreciate you thinking of me and inviting me on.
2: Well, we we both need to send. Uh, our friend Mr. Lynch, a a, a huge thank you because um, he was he was so complimentary of you uh, in our discussion, yeah. and uh, he was he was on the mark one hundred percent. So well, thank you. Before I let you go, uh, if you would please let everybody know how they can get in contact with you, where your book is for sale, the name of the book, and any other projects you have going on of interest that you would like to let everybody know about?
1: Oh, sure. Um, The best way to contact me is through the the church website. It's AmericanOldCatholic.org. And uh, to let everybody know, um, our seminary is open for anybody to take any course. Um, It's non-synchronous. You don't have to be in one place at one time. It's all recorded. And I'm currently teaching a history of demonology and the concept of evil course you can jump in it's 130 dollars all in it's 14 weeks and i started in ancient samaria with the beginning of writing and take you through every single teaching on demons and now we're up to the medieval occultists and islamic magic which crazes and then we'll get to the modern day It's a very interesting course and a lot of I've been told more reading than you can do in a lifetime on there (laughs) for anyone who's interested because the the helpings on demonology are very anemic until you come to me and I show you some of my bookshelves and you'll see that there's so much out there that is fascinating it's an academic study they have conferences just on Egyptian demonology with academics from around the world submitting papers so it's an academic course you're not going to come out of it an exorcist but you're going to know more than any other person (laughs) um so definitely go there it's a -a and you can email me bishop break at americanoldcatholic.com um i'll be at parapalooza in chicago on july 23rd um, and you can come by and say hi and uh, my book uh, god and the paranormal is on amazon and I have a novel that's almost finished and coming out and a sequel to God and the paranormal about the intersection of science, spirituality, the supernatural, and human psychology and religion. So hopefully that'll be as interesting. <laughs> so thank you.
2: What a what a breath of fresh air you are.
1: Oh, thank you.
2: It is, uh, it's been my pleasure. You've been a wonderful guest. Thank you so thank much. Thank you.
1: My pleasure.
2: All right. Good night. Good night. I want to hear your story. I want to hear your experience. So email me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, then leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Share the show with your friends. Share the show on social media. Make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter, all at Uncomfortable Podcast. And until next week, my friends, stay uncomfortable.